Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Eastlake this morning. It is 11 o'clock. I was just informed five minutes before the service that our live stream is having some issues. Um, so we are not, we're recording this later, but we're not, there's no, I have no accountability right now. I can say whatever I want and then we'll just edit it out. So this is great, you guys. You guys are, it's like bonus Sunday for you. Um, if you've uh, ever watched the unrated version of a movie, shame on you, but this is what it is on church on Sunday. So glad that you're here. Um, if you uh, came last week because it was Easter and you decided to come back uh, for a second time or whatever, um, we're glad that you made that decision. Um, and uh, we, uh, we, I just want to kind of further, you know, try and illustrate what we are or what we aspire to be. I, I thought about that this week. I like wrote it down. Here's what we are. It's like I'm, sometimes I hope to be this, but what we aspire to be is a community that's centered around discovering and pursuing life lived in the way of Jesus. And so we believe that Jesus was... Uh, divine. We believe that he was a, a teacher of a certain way of doing things. And um, so each week we try and gather together and discern what that looks like. Perhaps sometimes look at kind of the Old Testament stories that informed some of those teachings and those things. We uh, look at them from a, different, a bunch of different angles, and then we go out from here and attempt to live them out in, in reality. And we teach our kids to do the same thing and hold them accountable to those sort of things. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the bar of, uh, of being a part of this. There, there's no official uh, membership or bar, but uh, we just said, you know, if you're interested in, in, in hearing about it more and or following that, that, then we'd love for you to be a part of Eastlake. We are just coming out of spring break week. Um, so for those of you who uh, have kids who are going back to school full-time next week, congratulations. That is a very exciting uh, piece of it. And we just came out of uh, a week of, of, of uh, you know, uh, not having to kind of do any Zoom calls or check-ins or, or on location, anything in person, whatever's. So last week, my wife and I packed, before we went to church, we packed our car completely up, came to Easter Sunday, did Easter Sunday, and then immediately after service, grabbed lunch, and then headed out of town uh, towards Lake Tahoe, right there on the California-Nevada border. Uh, and on our way, we stopped in Boise and did some trips, and, and I took some photos while we were down. I don't know if you've ever been to Lake Tahoe before, but I'm, I feel like I'm on the tourism council at this point. It's Freaking beautiful, you guys. It was unbelievable. And you're asking yourself the question, why are you showing me these photos? Um, and I'm showing you because I'm one of those awful people who think that you might be interested in my travel photos in the same way that I'm interested in them. We all have friends like that or moms like that or whatever. So um, I'm just bringing this up because uh, it's interesting. Spring break trips. Kylie grew up going on a bunch of... My, this is Kylie's my wife, by the way. Um, going on a, a spring break trip every year. They went to the Oregon coast. And every year, Oregon coast, a couple uh, families would get together. They'd go to the, that. And they had tons of memories from going to a certain place uh, during that week. I grew up homeschooled. And so, and we lived in North Idaho at the time. And so uh, my mom, we never went on any spring breaks because I'm sure my mom was like, why would I need another week with you somewhere else? I don't understand. You're here and it's just us all the time. So why would I... I need that. I had, I, I had nothing. So, but we decided, hey, we're going to kind of try and figure out memories. And I don't know if it's going to be like Tahoe every time, but it's going to be trips to be able to kind of, you know, we have a certain amount of years with our kids. And you play that game of we have five more summers or six, six more summers or, or 18 more summers or whatever, whatever hope that you have uh, in that way. Um, and I discovered something along the way. I discovered uh, what is scientifically known as, if you look it up, the hierarchy of pain. Um, and the hierarchy of pain looks like this. On sort of the bottom level is uh, being in a car with four kids for 11 hours. That's pretty bad. I mean, that's like, you know, uh, it comes after surgery and after a heart attack. It's right in there, right in that zone. But then even harder than that, if you look, it goes up a little, uh, a little further. Sleeping in one hotel room with four kids for five nights in a row. That's, 
that's another, another level of pain. And then the final level of pain, if you've ever been there, and I, I highly don't recommend it, is attempting to eat out in a nice restaurant with four kids. That's, that's really as bad as it gets, you guys. That's really the hardest thing you can do, especially in the COVID area, masks, and they're fighting, and they're, they're literally, they were literally spitting at each other at one point. We're like, who does this? Who, you don't do this in non-COVID. Why in the world would you do this now when everybody's looking at us? It was awful. Anyways, uh, so I wrote this talk on the drive home from uh, Boise on the way. Kylie took a shift in the car, and I was in the passenger seat. And I feel it was like really, really, really appropriate because I knew we were going to be doing this series called Pilgrimage. And this series was in place before we even booked this trip, so it had nothing to do with that. But the timing was just perfect for it. Um, the idea behind the series was a way to live in the world. That's the subtitle for the series. Um, in religious traditions, like across not just Christianity. I'm saying across world, various world religions, trips are often made to visit the quote-unquote homeland, right? And so if you're Muslim, it's, it's probably Mecca or one of those holy sites uh, or, or the golden temple thing um, in, in Jerusalem. If you're Jewish, if you're Christian, it's been Jerusalem. If you're like a modern-day secularism or modern-day Instagram influencer, it's like Coachella, Burning Man, those sort of things. I gotta go home. I gotta be kind of where I'm at. And for a lot of people... Um, in a, uh, in a certain window of life, and typically uh, post-college, uh, pre-career, pre-marriage, uh, or pre, at least pre-kids for sure, um, there is a, a certain high, or, or perhaps like on the, on the, just on the cusp of retirement, and this is kind of a good way to kick off retirement, uh, there's a thing that is a, 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 summer, a hike that's done in the summer uh, in northwest uh, Spain to the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela to visit a shrine uh, of St. James the Great. It's a, it's a trip known as the Camino, the Camino, right? And here's a, here's a picture of all the, there's various routes in which to get there, but they always end in the same place in this northwest north, uh, city here. And, and so you can take the Portuguese route up the Iberian Peninsula. Um, you can take, this is the longest one. This is the French route. Um, and you start in France and then you go that way. And then this is the Northern route. And, and what I like about this is um, this one right here, this is the English route. Look at this little tiny little black line. It's the, lo- it's the shortest of all of them because, of course, we're like, yeah, that's probably good enough for us. You know what I mean? Like, I've, I did the Camino. It was just, you know. But this route right here, five, uh, over 500 miles, and it takes on average a, a pilgrim or a peregrino uh, about 30-plus days, about 30 days minimum to be able to do this. And along the way, our little hostels that are set up, in 2007, I got this information from an REI blog, so it's legit, um, and very REI-ish, right? Uh, it fits the, fits the mode or whatever. In 2017 alone, 300,000 travelers did the Camino, did the Camino on this, on this trip. 300,000 people who found it within themselves to have a 30-day window of no job and no responsibility. It's, it's amazing. It's really beautiful. And the reason that they do it uh, is for a lot of different reasons, perhaps spiritual, perhaps a physical, perhaps an endurance test, uh, perhaps it's a break from you know the routine of everyday life, or I know I'm about to go into this career where I'll never have this opportunity to be able to do it again, and so this is a great window to be able to explore myself, or get up in the mountains, or be in, in you know at an elevation where it's so close to the heavens that it feels very very spiritual, and I learn things, or you know I, I see things clearly in those moments that maybe I don't see anywhere else. I read this quote from somebody who's kind of a, a proponent of this sort of hike. People are drawn to the Camino because of its staying power. Walking the Camino is a chance to intentionally slow down and move at a human pace. 
to join a history that's so much bigger than any of us individually. You become part of the community of those who have committed, uh, committed, completed excuse me, uh, the Camino. Um, when you're married with kids in a career, again, it's difficult to find a 30-day window to be able to sneak this in, and this is not a prescription for you to be able to go, you know, f- figure out if you want to be really spiritual and love Jesus, then you need to go do this because we just can't. As a result, our pilgrimages typically look a lot different. A famous mouse is typically involved in our annual pilgrimages. But the idea for this series came about for a couple of reasons, and as soon as I knew I was going to do this series, the Camino immediately came to mind because I'd read or heard people be able to do this, but uh, number one, um, we're in a small group of a couple of families, five, six families that just kind of do life together. So um, uh, game nights, fun nights, we did, uh, I mentioned the Seder dinner that we did a couple of weeks ago uh, leading up to uh, Easter Sunday or whatever. Um, and one of those guys, his name's Richie, he's in, he's in the group, and uh, he's an outdoorsy sort of guy, works for U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and, and invited me on a quote-unquote short trip, he used that word, not me, short trip on uh, the PCT, which is the Pacific Crest uh, Trail. The actual full trail goes all the way from um, uh, up in Washington all the way down to California, the entire Cascade Mountain Range. His was like, we're not going to do that. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course, right? And so uh, he said, we'll just do a 125-mile stretch between uh, the plan was to get dropped off at Hood River. His wife was going to drop us off and then pick us up five days later at Mount Hood. And in that span of 125 miles, I did the, I did the math on just, I'm really fast at math on that. And that's 25 miles a day. And uh, I said, I looked at Richie in the eye and I said, I just don't know that my bike can handle 25 miles a day to do that hike. And uh, he, he, he didn't catch the joke and he, he stopped talking about it. So I'm assuming he's rescinded his offer which is really smart on his decision. Um, but like people, there's something in people that want to go do this. And so originally I said yes, and then again I did the math, and I'm like, I just don't know that I can make this thing happen. Um, so anyways, and then and then number, so that was on the plate. That was an offer that had been batted around come like December, January sometime of this year. And he's turning 40 soon, so he wanted to get it done at some point. And then number two, I read recently a story of three medieval um, spiritual mystics as they call them, mostly Catholic, just you know, so you know, because that was kind of part of the thing, who recorded pilgrimages in the Middle Ages, right around like the 1500, 1300 to 1500 um, AD sort of era, um, from Europe to Jerusalem. See, back then, um, their maps looked a lot different. Uh, their discovery of the New World hadn't taken place, and so the end of the world was just the, the Atlantic Ocean, the you know, from the Mediterranean Sea onward, and they just said, we don't know what happens. There's an edge, people fall off. I don't, people leave and they never come back. Uh, and so maps of that world uh, were, were functioned and, and looked a lot differently. And in mo- for the most part, uh, it was a very heavily religiously influenced society, obviously. Um, and so maps had Jerusalem at the center of most of their maps. You look at ancient maps, and, Jer- and the world is kind of spread out this way. Jerusalem's right here, and then you've got Europe and Egypt and uh, all the other things. But that was the center of the world. This is where you go. This is the home. This is the homeland. And so wherever you're at, um, in, in the same way that people focus on one city in Spain, it was the pilgrimages were, were to Jerusalem. And so they would come from all over, take their various different routes. They would uh, cross the, through the, the Alps mountains. They would, they would uh, you know, go across the Mediterranean Sea to certain parts. They would land in Jaffa, and then they would take mules from Jaffa to Jerusalem and then they would go see uh, whatever it is that they wanted to see in Jerusalem. And they called themselves, a lot of times, 
these, these spiritual mystics that would go on this, this journey. They, they had something, and that's a great word to kind of describe it, right? Mystics, people who are drawn to this sort of thing. Because it is a certain type of people who are drawn to these sorts of things. Richie is a unique sort of person, different than you and I. You and I don't talk about 125 miles. We could crush that in five days, right? We think that sounds like a long time in a car, right? So walking up and down, it would expose the elements. I don't know, you know? Um, so we, in today's society, we have these types of people who are drawn to these sorts of things. We don't typically call them spiritual mystics, maybe not because they're not religious, but mostly because we just have different vernacular words for them. We call them people who are like just like creatives, right, or free spirits. And when somebody comes up and you go, I'm doing the Camino. I had somebody after service call. I was just talking about this yesterday. I'm doing the Camino next year. And Christine is very much a free spirit. Like we would classify them in our vernacular, again, as Enneagram 4s, if you're familiar with Enneagram sort of language. These are typically the type of people who, you know, you, you, you want to say there's a screw loose, but that sounds bad. You're just like, you're just different. You're built differently in this way. And you, you find that they like certain types of music. They like certain types of granola. They like certain types of things that are just their favorite Bible verse, if you've been around them at any given time, is typically something around, or they like to remind you, did you know that David danced before the Lord naked, right? And you're like, you like that? Like, I, I don't understand. Are you trying, is this an invitation to something? What are you trying to get me to do? I don't understand. My response in those, I'm always uneasy because I'm always like, listen, I don't dance naked before my wife, right? I mean, like, as a favor to her, per her request, right? Why would I do that in church or as a spiritual sort of thing? It's, that's really weird that you want to do that. I don't, I don't, I don't even... And, and, and they'll say, they'll go on trips like this, and they'll come back with photos, or they've gone, you know, I was 45 days in, a, 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 in the mountains with just a granola, one granola bar, it was crazy, and I really had this sort of like moment, and oh my God, you gotta try this. And you're sitting there, you're going, I mean, I, do I? I don't know, and they say things that you should definitely do this. And I, I think to myself, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm just too materialistic, or I don't, maybe not deep enough, or not spiritual enough, or whatever, or not Enneagram 4 enough, but I, I say, I mean, maybe, but like, Maybe not, right? Maybe I don't have to do whatever it is that you're doing in this way. So this, just so you know, if you heard me talk about this Camino thing, you're like, oh, great. He's going to prescribe that we, you know, if you really want to love Jesus, you got to go do some sort of, this is not a prescription to go either dance before the Lord naked or do the French route, because if you're going to do it, do the, you know, do the thing or whatever. But I wanted to talk about it because many of you and us are planning some sort of a summer travel, and I would guess that a lot of it has to do with camping because when we like booked these things and scheduled these things, we weren't kind of sure how the pandemic was working out. And so you're like, well, camping feels safe, or you know, maybe you're not camping, and that's fine. You figure out your trip or whatever. But um, the comment, the thought that I had was, is there anything that we can learn from these quote-unquote pilgrims that would help us to vacation well. And if that feels like too shallow and too like hands-on and too like, oh, self-helpy or whatever, I understand that. I, I think that there's a way in which we can look at that and frame it within that framework of understanding and then also like extend it out to, does this, any, anything about the way that they do these things help us to live well? Because I think that there's some takeaways from this. Not that you have to go on a, trap, a, a trip like this, but that we could learn to be able to live well, to live differently based on kind of their understanding. Uh, uh, Paraphrase, a way in which to live in this world. And so that's what we're going to look at for the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a four-part series. I'm going to do three parts, and my buddy Seth is in town uh, in uh, later April this month uh, to be able to kind of do a part as well. Today, if you're taking notes or writing things down or, or just want to kind of, you know, in your mind create a framework of where we're headed, it's the idea of packing lightly. 
packing lightly is what I want to talk about because that is one thing that you hear from all of these people. When I did the Camino, I only had a backpack. When I did this, when I, when I go on the PCT, because you're hiking 125 miles, you know, 25 miles a day, you have to really manage what you bring with you for fear of, you know, you know too much weight and, and, and ruin your back or your shoes or whatever else. So uh, one of the uh, Spanish pilgrims, uh, that had a kind of wrote about, when you read about them or you hear their stories, a lot of them prescribe, here's, here's a list. They would be very, very practical, very, very hands-on, trying to encourage people to go on this trip with them or like them or whatever. Make sure you pack this. Make sure you do this. Make sure here's the list of the things that you need to prepare for and, and be prepared uh, for disappointment. Be prepared for when you're waiting for a ship to take you across the Mediterranean. You know, here's where you need to stay on the ship to avoid sickness and here's, like the delays that are inevitable as, as, a, as a result of, you know, waiting for other people for travel and just trying to highlight all these things. And one of the guys writes this, each one who goes on the voyage to the sepulcher of our Lord. Side note, real quick, um, can you put that quote on there, Andrew, real quick? Because this is uh, an important piece on, on this. The sepulcher of our Lord is a, a physical and actual church uh, that is uh, in Jerusalem that Catholics recognize as this is the place where Jesus was uh, buried, his tomb, <clears throat> excuse me, his tomb, which is now empty, is here, and Golgotha is really close by. It is, if, if Jerusalem was the center of the world at the time, uh, this Church of the Holy Sepulchre was the center of Jerusalem. This was the center of the world. This is where pilgrims would travel uh, to go there to touch the spot, to touch this hole in the ground that supposedly is where Jesus' cross uh, was, was stationed in the ground, to touch the, the, the table in which he, his body was laid in repose while they you know, prepared him for burial. Um, this is the empty tomb. This is where Mary knelt down and cried at the, at the foot of the cross. Um, these are, this is the path, this is the Via Dolorosa, the path in which he walked. These are, at one point, these are the footsteps. They're no longer there because pilgrims would take pieces and they would go. But there's imprints, footprints in the ground um, that were the footprints uh, of, of Jesus. And people would, these pilgrims would pour wine into the spots and then, and then sip from the wine as if taking communion from the place where Jesus actually walked. This is like, which, you know, it's crazy. And by the way, you go there in modern day, there's like three different burial sites for Jesus. Because in the tourism industry, there is no hotter ticket than this is Jesus' tomb, right? So he could have been buried here. We have no idea. But for them, this was, this was their spot. This is the place that we wanted to go. And so as he's saying, if you want to go there, here's a couple of things you need. There are, you have a need of three sacks, a sack of patience, a sack of money, and a sack of faith. Patience, money, and faith. And no question for sure, his juxtaposition of money and faith isn't without humorous irony, because for us, we would say, if you have money, you don't really need enough money, you don't need any faith. You can get yourself out of any jam that you want. Or if I have faith, then I don't need any money. And he's trying to say kind of there's like a both thing uh, in with this. But it's really, really simple. I mean, the, the point of, of what he's trying to say is what, in saying what, he, what you need, what he's really saying is here's what you don't need. And uh, it's so limited to be able to have this. And, and the question becomes, uh, like, do we need this? Because inevitably for us, when we pack on a trip, we will pack whatever size of suitcase we grab, right? Or whatever the airline limits us to, or whatever fits in the back of our car. We push it to the max. We say, this is the maximum we can take, and then we back it off a little bit. That's what we do. Uh, instead of saying, what do I need? Let me go find a bag that kind of fits this. It's here's my bag. 
what all can I fit in this? And then, then what happens is, as a result, the car gets a little bit too full, and you can't see out the back, and you're trying to manage all of this. And so you begin to say, well, do we need this? Do we need this? And you look at your traveling companion and say, you know, you get to the spot where you do we actually need this? Do we actually need this? And I, I say all this because this happened this week. And, uh, and then what happens is, at least for me, um, we get hauling all of our bags out. We have all of the things. We're going out to the car. And Kylie turns to me and says, hey, you go back inside with the kids and entertain them for a little bit. I'll do the packing. I'm better at Tetris than you. This is what she says. Now, note for the audio, we've never played Tetris against each other one time in our life. I was highly offended that she thinks that she's better at Tetris than me. So I said, well, now you've delayed the trip because now I've got to go download Tetris on my phone and we're going to settle this like adults, and then we'll see who can pack this thing and actually get this thing going, right? And so it's your fault that we're leaving an hour later in this way. But nothing shows us how attached we've become to creature comforts than packing for an extended trip, right? Nothing shows us how much we try and exert control or um, manage our experience more than packing for an extended trip. Because again, we think to ourselves, I've got this much space in this suitcase. What else might I need? What else could I need? It, there could be a hailstorm. We might need to throw it. It's July in the Tri Cities. But you never know. You never know, right? Let's throw it in. We'll keep it. We'll just do all of this. Now, listen, there are some things that are necessary, right? That you do need to pack, right? It was day three of our recent trip. When one of our kids, day three, the end of day three, when one of our kids let us know that they neglected to pack a toothbrush, day three. And I was told by my wife that I am not supposed to say who for embarrassment's sake, right? Because it sucks to be the pastor, you know, kid, pastor's kid because then all of your dirty laundry gets aired. So I won't. But she's in middle school now. <laughs> And she should know better. And I'll just like, I'll leave it at that. That'll be enough for it. But some things are necessary to be able to do, to be able to pack. So there, but the question is then, what, what is excessive or how do I learn to be able to pack lightly? Now, a couple of different directions that I could go uh, with this, because I think this shows up as a pattern in Jesus' teaching. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, or early on in Matthew's take on the life and the teachings of Jesus, um, he shows uh, this story of um, like, almost like a collection of sermons, really, not, not a specific event, but what I remember Jesus talking about most. Um, he gathers people on, on a hillside. This is before he's even got his 12 disciples. He's like in the early stages of this. And he goes through the Beatitudes, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And at one point in chapter 6, he talks about, um, do not be anxious. Matthew, Matthew is, again, re- recollecting, here's what I remember Jesus talking about most in our, my time and travels with him. He would say things like, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, you know, give thanks to the Lord. And consider the birds, consider the the lilies of the field. They don't spin and worry, and the birds don't fret over what's going to happen. God knows what they need, and he provides it. Therefore, you should do the same thing. Therefore, seek first the kingdom of heaven and and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And that would be a great kind of text to be able to go through to be like, I think Jesus just taught 
Like, don't be anxious about stuff and, and learn to pack lightly in life in, in, in a certain way. And I could definitely go that direction. Um, but the one that I want to focus on today, because I think it has an element as well. But I just wanted to show that um, this isn't just one text out of context. This is a pattern for him. Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 10, in this story, now he has uh, confirmed his disciples. He's called Matthew out of the tax collector's box that he was in. Uh, a wealthy man, by the way, because to be a tax collector, you had to have money to make money. That's uh, pretty, you know, relative understanding to our modern day understanding of it, but uh, and how we live life. But he he's wealthy, and he's called him, and he's about to send out his disciples. It's the in, in your Bible there might be like a little subheader above this chapter ten thing that says the commissioning of the disciples or the sending out of the disciples. He's he's basically saying, you've been seeing me do this now for a length of time. I walk through, I teach about the kingdom of heaven, I declare the kingdom of heaven is near, I do some healings, I do some exorcisms, I do some things, and then I go, right? And, and um, you've, you've seen me do this, I want you to go now. I, I've been, I demonstrated this, now, now you go and then bring back your stories. And he has specific instructions for them. And by the way, there's all kinds of context about, you know, what, what do you mean healings and exorcisms and stuff? And, and I think that, um, he's basically trying to show them this is what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like, right? Uh, the, these deformities, these, these things are, are gone. This is a picture of what this is. And uh, it's, it's a very specific for them. We're peeking over the shoulders of the disciples, but I don't think this is prescriptive for us. But he's giving them specific instructions. And, and I think that it's not relevant for us because he's saying, don't go here, definitely go here. Um, and if they kick you out here, if they're not accepting to you here, then, then walk away and shake the dust off, the, off your feet and move on. Um, and he gets to this one spot in verse 9 where he says, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. Now, he's speaking to a couple of people, probably uh, fishermen, blue-collar workers who had probably a decent amount of money, but Matthew for sure has, has money. And specifically, he's mentioned to them, when you go and you do these travels, don't like take a bunch of stuff with you, like pack lightly in this way. Uh, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. Again, coming back to you, now you do need a shirt and you do need some sandals, like make sure you pack a toothbrush, right? But don't pack like multiple toothbrushes, you'll be fine. Or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. And what he's saying here is as you go out and you do this, you're gonna be working amongst other people and there are gonna be people who in this way see what you're doing, are passionate about the ministry that you're doing and are willing to support you as you go and make this, this thing happen. Paul would do this. Paul would go to different towns. He would, uh, he would, he would pastor these churches, start these church plants or whatever. And then um, his, his ministry, his mission is funded by people who believe. And this is how life operates too. This is how we function in, in terms of Eastlake of how we understand uh, money. You give things, you, you contribute and point your dollars towards things in life that you care about. You care enough about cable TV this afternoon to be able to watch the Masters. Um, you, and I know you're saying it's on CBS, it's free. Well, yeah, but you still pay for local channels sometimes, right? You, you designate your dollars towards things in life that you care about. You care enough about your kids BMX racing or baseball or whatever, money goes in that direction. You vote with your, with your money. And so they're saying here, go to these people. They're gonna vote about your ministry and your mission with this way. And be content with whatever it is that you find there. This is how we do things even at Eastlake. You, if you've been attending for any length of time, you know like we have committed to being whatever size church and whatever level of, of uh, experience that you want it to be, right? We, we, and this has helped us survive this pandemic and financially and, and be in a position to be able to make this thing happen. But we just believe when we do a thing for money, we don't pass out a bucket and, be, and guilt you and here's we're gonna show some pictures of this or we're gonna rec recruit some capital campaign or something like that. We're just like, listen, you give to the things in life that you care about. Thank you for committing to caring about a 
creating a community for people who don't typically like church. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked on it. But this is what he's communicating to his disciples. In essence, it's a principle that comes with packing lightly. When you pack lightly, you begin to understand something. The principle that you understand is this. Take only what is being offered by this space. That when you travel, there is a way in which you can travel where you take so much stuff with you that you control that environment. You take your world and integrate it into this world. And the reality is that you show up in an environment or from an environmental standpoint, let's just say this, that has been operating before you came and will operate long after you come. And uh, this is, uh, when, you, when you bring things into this, you're bringing your way of life in and not truly understanding what this is like. I'll, uh, let me illustrate it in this way. Last year, we went camping up in uh, Coeur d'Alene at Farragut State Park. We're gonna go again this year. Um, and uh, we walked by this campsite with this guy with a huge truck, huge trailer, four-wheeler, um, uh, which is fine, string lights that he had like put into the ground. Uh, there was a TV mounted on the side of, of his thing. They had like Lazy Boys. They had a Traeger. And, and at some point you go, what's the point of camp? You're not camping? What are you doing? Like, actually, the first comment that I had was, that's freaking awesome. And then my wife goes that's not even camping. I'm like, yeah, now that I think about it, you're probably right, right? So I understand why, but I also understand like, if you want to do that, just stay home. You're not packing lightly. You're experiencing this in this moment. Why why do we try and, well, we're going to bring a bunch of land. We're going to bring a bunch of games. We're going to do these types of things where we're we're not going to like explore the environment. We're just like, ooh, it's freezing outside. And we, you know, now we get to have this heater. I, I get it. Now I understand that I, my, my encouragement to you is going to be to pack lightly. And, and listen, I know that this summer I'm going to go camping and I'm probably going to post some photos on Instagram. You're going to see him and you'll be like, he said to pack lightly and look at him. He's got a sleeping bag there. What's he doing, man? <laughs> not even listening to his own stuff, right? I get it. I might not just post photos on Instagram just for, for that sake. But I think that there's like this massive thing that comes into our mind where if we go, all right, what if, what if, what if this summer... Instead of like maximizing our suitcase, maximizing our car, getting as much weight in that suitcase as we can before we have to pay extra at the airport, because we don't want to do that, but everything else, we're like, we're so, how proud are we when it's 49.5 pounds? There's like a sense of like, I did this, man. I am maximizing this. I'm using you. Delta, you have no idea how good I am at this. I'm the best. I'm the best, Right. We think like that, and, then, and, and we, we really fail to realize that we can't truly experience, we can't take from a place only what's being offered there when the car is packed, when the bags are full, and when everything, when everything is maximized out as, as, as much as it possibly can be. This really isn't a live option when the car is fully packed, both in a proverbial way and in a reality way. Now, so, so my... my thing for you is whatever it is that you go and do this summer, and, and I'm assuming it's camping or, or trips or something like that, my, my thing would be, please think about this. Like, let's do a, a spiritual practice of packing lightly. Now, again, that doesn't mean, and I hate to rehash this, please don't take this to mean pack nothing. I do not want a phone call from you and you're up at Fisher Campground or whatever in June saying, Brent, you said not to pack a tent, and now it's raining, and I'm never going to go to your church again, and how can anybody trust you? I don't want that phone call. Please, pack a toothbrush. But pack lightly. What if, I know this might sound crazy, what if you left the Traeger? What if you didn't do this? 
to the maximized way that you can do it and instead allowed a space to be able to provide that, take from this place only what the space provides in this way. And then if we did that practically, all right, if, if, if as a family you had this conversation or you and your spouse or kids or whatever, you had this thing, we're gonna go, we're gonna pack lightly, we're gonna experience in this way. And then on the drive home, I want you to digest a little bit, talk through what that felt like, what was all involved, what kind of sacrifices were made, what, what did we learn, how did it feel, what were the emotions involved in this? Did we, was, the, was the overall experience greater or less than? What, what, uh, what kind of things, what disappointments perhaps, were, did we actually go, oh, that now, I realize that's probably essential, we do need games to be able to entertain the kids, I don't know. But there's gonna be a dialogue that to be able to take place, and I think, I almost promise you, it's gonna be, there's gonna be a positive thing that comes out of that, and then I want you to go, Make that connection between, okay, if that's true on a three-day trip into the mountains, what about this can I take away into my overall life? What hap- how do I translate this onto a more like meta level of packing lightly in my life? What if, instead of going on the typical American train of maximizing everything else out, I just kind of lived with a little bit more of an open hand and take... What if I went through life and just took whatever was being offered in that spot and then I'm content with this? If I did that and if I really lived like that, would the, perhaps some of the radical teachings of Jesus or seemingly radical teachings of Jesus perhaps seem more attainable, more teachable, more understandable, more relatable, more that's maybe a better way to do life instead of trying to push my own construction of what life of the good life looks like onto these things? What if I just went through it and said, whatever it is, I just, I'll figure I'll be content with that. Because in an understanding of that, we, we, we'd say this, then life is kind of like, like a pilgrimage, right? And I'm giving away like the whole series here. This is week four. When we come back to this, this is gonna be life's a pilgrimage. So you can just skip that week or whatever. But life is like a pilgrimage. We're all trying to make our way, quote unquote, home somewhere. Perhaps we'd be a, a little bit better off if we made an intentional decision to pack lightly, to take only what's being offered by this space, to learn from those who have perhaps pilgrimaged before us, maybe that is something we would learn 30 days on the Camino walk. Um, Or maybe we could learn that in 30 minutes inside of an abandoned theater instead of 30 days with blisters on our feet. That might be a better way to go. Life is pilgrimage, and uh, we get a chance to learn to pack lightly and take what is only being offered in the space as it's given. May we, may we be the type of people, may we be the type of church and community that, 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 offer, that practices this on a very practical level and then translates that into maybe this is a way to understand how to do the Jesus way of living. So let's pray. Father, give us the uh, wisdom to be able to figure this out in our lives, to figure out what the context means for us and and what, what, it would, what it would translate to, get, like trigger something in us as we begin to pack the car or pack the bags uh, for our next trip, uh, or at least some trip this summer where the, maybe the whole family's involved or something, but uh, in, in a way to be able to kind of put tangible hands-on experience to this, and, and may that then somehow open up into our minds uh, a way of, of thinking through things that when we read in your text, when we read in your stories about what you did and what you taught, 
uh, that those things would jump out at us, not as some sort of radical, that's for people who back then who didn't have much, and it doesn't mean anything to me, but perhaps um, we would see it and then begin to see ourselves in that as an invitation to a way of life that looks a lot different, a lot different than what we're told through commercials and advertising and this of what makes us happy when we travel. So give us a wisdom to know what that looks like in our life. The Cures Act on your name. Amen.